The reading today is from John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This is the gospel of Christ. Thank you, Kayla. Let's pray and then we'll have a look at those words. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and we pray you'd help us uh, as we think on these words and help us to respond to him rightly. In his name we pray. Amen. Chris Scott is an infamous man. Uh, He's a man with two first names, but that's not the thing that makes him infamous. Uh, He's a man who made a mistake that was far more costly than he realised at the time. He was a cricket player in England, a wicketkeeper for Durham in the 1990s. And in one game against Warwickshire in 1994, he shot to the kind of infamy that you wouldn't wish on anyone. He was wicketkeeping in a game when a catch came his way. The kind of catch that the average Joe or the average Jane would catch nine times out of ten. But... As you can guess, he dropped it. Now, that happens from time to time, but but what happened next hasn't ever happened in the history of the game. The the batsman was only on 18 runs at the time, and when Chris Scott dropped the catch, he joked, I bet he gets 100 now. And he he had good reason to say that, because the batsman at the time, in six of his last seven matches, had scored 100. So he he had reason to believe that he'd made a grave mistake in dropping that catch. But what followed was was far worse than he could have ever imagined. Sir Brian Charles Lara was the batsman at the time, and he went on to score the highest score in the history of professional sport. uh, Cricket, sorry. (laughs) An an incredible and, and yet scarcely believable 501 runs. Chris Scott's mistake was worse than than he could have ever imagined. And we have moments like that in life, don't we? Where mistakes we make have severe consequences. Mistakes that seem small can cost us time or money or relationships or, or even more. I want to put it to you this morning that as human beings, our approach to life is, is very similar to Chris Scott's initial response. Uh, Let me explain. Humanity, our mistake is is turning away from the God who has made us in his image. And many of us don't realise just how costly it is when we turn away from God. Because one day we're all going to stand before him and we will have to give an account for our lives. And the reality is many people will be found guilty before him and, and face punishment as a result, a a punishment that's 
far worse than we can comprehend. This is a reality that the author of of these verses that we're looking at was all too aware of. Uh, John was one of Jesus' disciples, his followers, one of the people in the world who was closest to him. And he tells us that he wrote this account of Jesus' life and his death and resurrection so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. So he's writing so that we won't make the most costly mistake that any human being could ever make. And the reason we're looking at these verses this morning is because they show us how to avoid making that mistake. We're going to mainly be looking at verse 16, uh, which is slightly different to what we do most weeks. Uh, We like to work our way through a whole passage of the Bible, and that helps us to get a a broader idea of what God is saying to us and, and how he wants us to live. But sometimes it's good to slow right down and and look at the detail of what there is in a particular passage, or in today's case, a particular verse. Because John 3.16 is one of the the most well-known verses in the whole Bible, because it's a wonderful summary of the Christian faith. Uh, I imagine there'll be a, a number of people here who will know this verse by heart. It gets to the heart of what Christianity is about. And it shows us that uh, where we end up for eternity all depends on our response to Jesus. Now we're going to look at verse 16 in three parts. And we'll see God's love, God's sacrifice and God's promise. Uh, So let's jump in and take a closer look. And we start by seeing God's love. For God so loved the world. It's not uncommon to hear people uh, ask a married couple how they initially got together, who made the first move, who, who took the initiative. And it's often amusing hearing, uh, hearing things from the perspective of, of the husband and, and then the wife, or in whatever order. And, and occasionally, the stories don't quite line up, uh, put it down to memory fading over time. But, but when it comes to God's interactions with this world, there can be no doubt around who took the initiative. And we see it clearly here. God so loved the world. God. He's the one who acts first. He loved the world so much. Now there's often a lot of discussion around what John meant when he he mentioned the the world. Is he talking about all the people in the world? Or or is he just talking about Christians in the world? Uh, One line of thinking goes that if he loved the whole world, then surely he'd save the whole world. So it must just be talking about Christians. Well, Before we we make any decisions, it's worth remembering that we use the word world in a lot of different ways. We can use it to talk about the earth. Uh, If we say something is is world class, it means that it's it's near the best of its kind. If we talk about the world of literature, we're, we're referring to a particular sphere of life. If we refer to the ancient world, we might be talking about a particular time in history. But there's another way that the Bible talks about the world. And John himself is someone who refers to the world in this way at times. He uses the world as a negative term, as as representing all that is evil. In John uh, chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Jesus was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Uh, Or in chapter 7, he says, uh, Jesus says, the world hates him because he testifies that what it does is evil. 
John 15, again, Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Now, how does that uh, help us understand what, what John means here? Well, there's a, a theologian uh, named Benjamin Warfield who said this about the world. It's not to suggest that the world is, is so big that it takes a great deal of love to embrace it all, but that the world is so bad that it takes a great kind of love to love it at all, and much more to love it as God has loved it when he gave his son for it. See, this is a world that is hostile towards God and that is alienated from him. You might argue, I don't think the world hates God. It's just indifferent or it doesn't really care about him. But remember, this is his world. He, he created it. Uh, imagine for a moment you, you go on a holiday overseas and, and the country that you go to has a whole range of laws that you're not used to. Now, you wouldn't just ignore those laws, would you? If you did, it would be disrespectful and, and you'd probably end up in a, a lot of trouble. But that's kind of what we do in, in God's world. Our world has, has drifted so far from how God intended us to live. Life isn't valued. Marriage is seen as temporary. Identity has become idolised. And God's word has been silenced. Societies that, that once supported Biblical principles now scoff at the thought. And all of these things have a huge impact on, on us, that they can cause us to suffer in many ways. Our world is opposed to God. But it's this world that God chose to love. Somehow he has love for a, a twisted and broken world. And it's God's love that leads to God's sacrifice. That's the next part of our verse he gave his one and only son. And he does this in, in two ways. Uh, firstly, in verse 17, we see he sent his son into the world. Now remember how, how poorly the world has treated God. And, and yet because he loves the world, he can't sit back and kind of do nothing. And so he, he sends his son to live in this world. Uh, you may have noticed at, at weddings or, or funerals or, in, uh, or at other big moments in life that when people get up to say a few words, you can often tell uh, the people who, who know that individual the most. Not because they say the most, but because they've been in, in that person's presence. They, they've spent time with them. They know what they're like, what, what's important to them. And it, come, it comes across when they speak. Now when God sends us his son, he, has sent, he is sending us the one who has been in his presence. The one who knew God like no one else, who had spent all eternity with his heavenly Father to that point. There is no one better to, to come and show us what God is like. In chapter uh, 1, John says this about Jesus. No one has ever seen God, but God, uh, meaning Jesus, the one and only who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. See, when God gave his one and only Son, he was showing us himself in a, in a way that he had never done before. The unseen God now revealed through his son. So God gives his son by, by sending him into the world, but God also gave his son in another way. Uh, a couple of verses before our passage, Jesus said, the son of man must be lifted up. Uh, and son of man is, a, is another title uh, that describes Jesus. And, and he seemed to be pointing to the fact that he would be lifted up as he was killed on the cross. 
See, when God gave his son because of his love for us, it included giving him up to suffer the most inhumane, horrific death for our sake. He gave him up because people like you and I, like the rest of the world, are naturally hostile towards God. People who live as his enemies. Now, now just think about that for a moment. Often an only child is, is extra special to parents. Uh, so how remarkable it is then that God would send his only son into this world, knowing full well what this world is really like. But God knew even more than that. He knew how his son would be treated. He knew the great cost that was required in order to deal with the sin of people like you and I. See, when we know how corrupt our own hearts are, how quick we are to reject God in favour of our own comfort and, and pursuits, how shocking it is to think that not only did God love us, but that he would even give up his son because of his love for us. God's love leads to God's sacrifice. The final thing we see is, is God's promise. See, God didn't give up his son for nothing. We see that the purpose of what God did in the final part of that verse, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And there are two main things I want to highlight in this promise. Firstly, who the promise is for. Now, any Jewish person at the time may already have been surprised at John's words that God's love was for the whole world and not just for Israel, because that's what they would have thought. But these next words may have shocked them even more. Whoever believes in him. People are generally very good at placing boundaries on who we include in different aspects of our lives. And God's people in the past had a similar tendency. Dare I say it, we still do at times. Now back then, the leaders had a habit of making it harder for people to follow God. They created more barriers. But through Jesus, the doors are wide open. The promise is for anyone who would believe in him. No matter your race or your gender or who you're attracted to or how you've lived your life to this point. For whoever believes in him. It's a promise for anyone. That word belief is one of John's favourite words. Uh, he uses it almost a hundred times in his gospel. And, and many times to believe is to be convinced of something. Uh, I mentioned earlier John's purpose in, in writing so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that we may be convinced of it. But in our verse, belief is, is more than just being convinced. Believing in Jesus is trusting him, depending on him, and being devoted to him. And what, is, what does that look like? There's a commitment to him. It's living under his rule. Uh, it's not something temporary that comes and goes. Now, we often end up allowing various things to rule our lives, be it our families or our work, our music, sport, entertainment, our appetites, or, or even uh, our beliefs or our political views. Or maybe it's our health that rules us or, or our fears. It could be almost anything. Belief in Jesus is allowing him to be your Lord. It may mean saying no to some of those other things. 
allowing those things to take a back seat to him. It may mean trusting him even though the future is uncertain and even when we're afraid. Which is easier said than done uh, when we've been living a particular way for a period of time. So the first part of, of the promise is that it's open to anyone who would believe in him. Now the second thing I, I want to point out with the promise is that it shows us we're on one of two possible paths. Whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. You're either someone who will perish, meaning eternal death apart from your maker, or you're someone who will have eternal life with him. To perish, as, as we heard uh, in the rest of the reading, is to be condemned. Uh, later in chapter 3, in verse 36, John describes it as having God's wrath on you. Remember, one day this, this world will face God's judgment for, for the way we've responded to him. We might get away with ignoring him uh, for now, but someone will eventually have to pay. And the only way to avoid perishing eternally is, is through Jesus, trusting his payment for sin on our behalf. The promise that we won't perish is, is one thing, but it's the promise of eternal life that helps us to see the, the positive side of not perishing. You might wonder, is, is eternal life even that great? Uh, perhaps you think, if it's anything like this life, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, God tells us that this life is, is nothing in comparison to how great eternity will be. No happiness here will ever match it. No satisfaction will compare. No comfort. Nothing in this life will be as good as the life to come. Just, just think about that. Because there are, there are many, many good things in this life. But the promise of eternal life is, is even better. But in the same way, nothing in this life will be as bad as what is to come if we perish apart from Jesus. See, this, this promise is something to hold on to if you believe in Jesus, if he is your Lord over and above everything else. But it's a warning if you don't. It's a warning that the worst is yet to come. Uh, and if you make that mistake of ignoring Jesus, the, the consequences are far, far worse than we realise. If a doctor tells you that you need emergency surgery if you want to survive, uh, the chances are you, you'll follow their advice uh, pretty quickly, I'm, I'm guessing. Now, we've been given Jesus, the great physician, the, the doctor of our souls, and he calls us to turn from the darkness and, and evil of this world, from our own sinfulness, and to believe in him. Jesus doesn't call us to live this way because he wants to annoy us or, or control us or make life frustrating for us. And certainly we're free to reject him if we think that's best. But remember, he tells us things that are true, things that we need to know, not just things that we want to hear. Now remember Chris Scott, the, the man who had two first names. The man who made a mistake much worse than he ever imagined. Well, there's a, there's a funny story in more recent times. Uh, a sports show organised to get Chris Scott and, and Brian Lara together one day. And they offered him a chance to try and redeem himself. They, they re-enacted the catch. And they gave Brian Lara a bat and they gave Chris Scott some wicket-keeping gloves and they got Brian Lara to kind of edge the ball 
And this time, Chris Scott caught the ball, much to the delight of all involved. Uh, now, it's a funny story, but in, re- in reality, Chris will always be the guy who made the 483-run mistake. He couldn't redeem himself. And the same is true for us in this perishing world. Nothing we can do will save us. It's only Jesus who can redeem us. He willingly gave up his life to make us right with God. And we may brush it off, we may mock him or or mock Christianity, but Jesus is the only one who can save us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God's love, God's sacrifice, God's promise. How will you respond to God's Son? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we know our world has, has long rejected you, but we thank you that your response was love that you sacrificed your own son for us. And I'm sure each of us here is is in a different place. Uh, Some have been in the church for for much of their lives. Uh, Some are newer to Christianity. Uh, Some who are just holding on. Some who are persevering. Some who are far from you. Please would you grant that we would believe in your son, that he might be our Lord above all else in this world. Please save us from an eternity apart from you and and bless us with this wonderful gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.